Here we go with the John Curley Sherry Elliger Show. Sherry out taking care of her mom back tomorrow. Uh, look who's back for a second time in a row. Greg Tomlin, who uh, said that um, we didn't force him to make him feel like he was in third grade. Andrew held back with all the flatulence that's normally normally accompanied. A combination of news. Nice. And- <laughs> yeah, why delay it two news hours inter- today? Just right out the shoot. So right, right, right. News and entertainment. That's what we'd like to do. Both try to try to walk that fine line between keeping you up to date and not putting you to sleep. Diving into there. All right. Well, the man that had high hopes to uh, find gold in Ember Hills and then also diamonds in Seattle, he built himself a little shed shack kind of cabin thing. And it was so funny when they described it in the news, it was like, and a cabin that had both a uh, treadmill and microwave ovens and all this other stuff. Not kind of mentioning the fact that none of those things were plugged in. It was just a pile of garbage that was in there. But it made it sound really nice for a while. So you saw the photos. You're like, well, that's a, it looks like an old stolen treadmill. And then there were propane tanks and a whole bunch of other stuff that was all mixed in there. But finally, the city responded. Now, this guy stole an excavator in October and then got caught for that. But then he went back and kept working on this thing, took down a bunch of trees. And I'm sure the neighbors had called the city a whole bunch of times and complained. Uh, and I don't know if they did anything. But then once it made the news, it was, oh, hey, we're, we're, hey, wake up, Gus. We got to get out there and do something. So now <laughs> the guy, they go, <laughs> I like how Joe uh, put this in here. Gold, gold minder. The gold mining cabin is gone. Do you remember Gus Chiggins from SNL, the Will Ferrell character? He was old prospector. I should have told you to grab clips from that. It's a classic. But, John, our derelict uh, brethren, so to speak, using public spaces to eat, sleep, uh, poop, diarrhea, to uh, do drugs, commit crimes is sadly nothing new. But I think this case in particular captured our community's attention because of the spectacle and the inordinate nature of this homeless man's scheme. You know, a lot of us have Mm -hmm. been wondering for some time, uh, where will public officials or law enforcement draw the line? Where is the boundary? Well, this guy found it. Um, he, yeah. was, he was a groundbreaker in more ways than yes, one. And um, well, in the same way that his cognitive functions test the limits of sanity, uh, his brazen actions also tested the city's limits on what they were willing to tolerate in terms of uh, homeless acts or behavior. Summing it all up in what they call a news package. Indeed. Uh, Jeremy Harris. They have beer kegs in both hands, but today was no party for work crews who had to haul out an entire homeless encampment from Dr. Jose Rizal Park. They've taken down the cabin, which was really something. We took you into this encampment on Friday, where Stephen Irwin claimed he had permission to build this cabin and dig out this area where he claimed he was mining the hillside. With the encampment now cleared, you can see the damage that's been done to Dr. Rizal Park. This is where all the vegetation and trees have been cut down and cleared to make paths. And over here is where the guy told me that he was going to dig out the hillside to search for gold and diamonds. I have been impressed by his sheer audacity. Craig Thompson is a volunteer park steward and for months tried to get the city's attention about what Irwin was doing. The amount of damage that is done is truly considerable. 
Irwin was arrested in October for digging up the hillside with an excavator he took from a nearby construction site. But he came back to the park and followed through on his plans to build a cabin. You know, once again, when you're on methamphetamines, you can do amazing things. <laughs> and so I have a feeling that was one of the contributing factors here. By the way, we are in no way endorsing methamphetamines to do incredible things. We do things, incredible things all the time here at Cairo, and none of us are on meth. I'm just, I'm that we know of. myself on that one. <laughs> <laughs> With Irwin and his camp now gone, Thompson hopes the city will be more firm in protecting the park and not playing the same game over and over. It is going to take years. It is going to take a committed effort um, that the city has to put a plan together and follow it. Now, what happened to Irwin? Well, he got arrested by Seattle police. He's currently in jail on felony charges of malicious mischief and theft. Malicious mischief being damaging somebody else's property. I actually talked to his mother today in Mississippi. She said that the family had cut ties with him several years ago over his drug use. And she told me she hopes that he will get treatment and eventually get on a path to recovery. Reporting live at Dr. Jose Rizal Park, Jeremy Harris, Como News. Some people would say, you know, it seems the city goes after and finds people that can pay the fines, like the guy that cut down the trees to improve his um, the view, got charged like $365,000 or something. They've got new tree ordinance fines in place. It depends on the size of the tree, what type of tree, all this other stuff that goes into it. I don't know how many trees you remove, but he's gone, and now they, um, they've arrested him, which means they give him a ride downtown. He gets to have a photograph taken, and then they let him go. So I'm sure for this poor guy, I don't know what additional help he gets, but at least for a little while, he's a cause celebre in local news. And one of the things the family said at the end of that news package there stuck out to me, which is we hope that he gets into a rehabilitation program. But hope is not a strategy, John. Um, and I don't know. I can't help. Hope's yeah. a dangerous word. Oh, as Morgan Freeman says. Andy in Dufresne. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, well, Andy maybe we'll find this guy. <laughs> we'll find him on a beach in oh, Mexico at the end of this movie. But uh, involuntary rehabilitation. How about involuntary institutionalization? Um, but human beings have agency, and you can't coerce someone to get better. For the sake of public safety and the public good, these people need to be moved away and potentially behind bars. And I know the common line is, well, you can't arrest your way out of this problem. Yes, well, you can. Yes, <laughs> in some ways, you can. I honestly think yes, you can. Yes, you can. You truly can. That is the biggest crock. It's, yes. It really fits nicely on a script read by a politician. Yeah, we can't arrest our way out of it. Yeah, you can. And it's been yeah. proven that you can do that. And if you don't want to play do. by society's rules, you don't get to live amidst a civilized society. I mean, it, it's plain and simple that you'll get, you know, four walls and a, and a couple meals a day. And if you want to play by the rules, you can come out and try again. But until then, I, I mean, they've just been emboldened and incentivized to do whatever they want. And this is the latest example. And th this person had fireplaces, propane heaters, a washing machine, multiple generators, a trip. Red mail. He was tripping the life fantastic until Johnny Law mm. finally came in and said, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a bridge too far, finally. And Greg, we did, did a story the other day. We, we did a story the other day on a guy from Japan who was seen. He would order a medium-sized uh, cup of coffee, but then he would go, go over 
and refill it. And he did that multiple times to get himself basically more coffee. Mm-hmm. And I think they'd caught him after he had done it like six times or seven times. I think that's the case was, right, Joe? I think seven, yeah. Yeah, they caught him, arrested him, and he lost his job. He was a Are you serious? School. Yeah, like... And he sends his letter out, you know, deeply apologizing that his family was ashamed and he was ashamed he would never do it again. But he perfectly understood that if he needs to be arrested and he's, he's spent time behind bars, well, you know, that's what will come to him. Okay, so did this happen stateside or like in Tokyo? Was um, this in Japan? In Japan, yeah. Okay, so this happened in in Japan. Japan, It's so funny you bring this up. It's apropos because I was talking to someone on a video shoot the other day that was thinking of moving to Tokyo. And I said, what's your number one reason? She goes, last time I went there, it was just so safe compared to Uh where I've lived in big cities in America. I just And it had the same feel, had the tall buildings, had lots of activities, restaurants, lots of dynamism happening. But she goes, you couldn't help but escape the fact that it just felt really safe over there. And so your, yeah, your story is a perfect example. You fill up the coffee too much, you're out of here. Right. Not only out of here, you're going to jail. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. The difference, I think, is the, the culture of shame. Right? Shame and honor culture. Yeah. Well, it's so bad. You know, people will jump off buildings and suicide, bringing shame to the family. But there is right. because the extended family is such an important part of the Japanese culture where the mother and the father and the, the, house, the struggle that they have gone through and that you don't want to shame the the generations that have come before you so your activity in public everyone just there's an understanding that i wouldn't do that to you and you wouldn't do that to me and that's that sort of bond between everybody and the state doesn't need to step in or the force of law doesn't need to come in because we're all sort of just making sure we're all abiding by basically the golden rule Right. Treat others as you wish to be treated. Now, it's the force of China where they now have a million people that they are watching. They're just testing it with social credit. So if you're walking across the street and you jaywalk, there's cameras everywhere. The camera takes a photograph of you and then it stores it that you violated uh, jaywalking. And then perhaps you might not give a seat to a woman in the subway. That is also a violation. So eventually, if you get enough of these violations on your social credit score your phone could go dark or maybe you want to book a flight somewhere mm-hmm. you won't be able to book it or they will then lock your uh, account so you're not able to get access to any of your money if you violate so many of these credit scores that it gets down below a certain amount you begin to lose rights and that's the way they're sort of forcing this the state coming in to force behavior upon people in a really draconian manner uh, sort of George Orwell-esque right but and I don't think you that's, are that's advocating- Keep order. No, right. no, 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 no. Right. But I, because the state has to come in because culturally it doesn't have that same bond as they have in Japan where people will just not do that to someone because they don't want to disgrace the name, the family name and, and who they are in society. It's mm. a very, very, and the other thing is there's a, it's very, um, it, guilt and shame yep. are present continuously. Um, and shame itself is a mortal wound that people don't get over very easily and it never really heals so they hold on to that idea of shame and embarrassment shame to yourself shame to the generations coming for you and everybody's on the watch for it you just wouldn't behave a particular way because it would bring shame to you well, there's no shame in the united states oh, bingo. at all western cultures have largely done away with concepts of shame and guilt and say you shouldn't feel those things for any reason whatsoever and what you're alluding to here is a culture 
culture clash of values in America. We are hyper, hyper individualistic. And we've always tended that way. But a, a, an issue we're going to be talking about later in the show about how unchurched uh, Seattle is. Religion used to keep individualism well balanced. Because at the heart of religion is community. But when you do away with religion, all you're left with is the ego, uh, the pride of the individual and pursuing whatever they want at any cost. Truth is relative. And I I don't owe any allegiance to a family or community. If it's best for me, I'm going to go pursue building a cabin and search for gold on a Seattle public park. (laughs) Whatever the the idea that I am, uh, I myself uh, uh, am a god. And that whatever I need to do to make myself feel happy, my actions to serve only my God, which is my me, myself as my own entity, my own deity. There's no higher power than me and my ego. So therefore, I don't need to worship some spaghetti strainer in the sky. It's what I feel I need to do to satisfy me. You know, the hell with everybody else. And and that's where you get into, yeah, there's protection of the individual. But at the same point, the individual needs to be operating within a sphere that we all agree that these are the values that we're going to operate under and you can't redefine you know this is my truth or you must now affirm my choice of who I am you're disregarding everyone else in an incredibly egotistical selfish way to say no 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 this is my reality this is my truth my lived experience and now I'm going to make you live under my reality and we're not embellishing this issue I remember just a few months ago there was like a safe injection advocate uh, who was testifying before the Seattle City oh, right. Council I remember do you remember this, this? Yeah. yes yes and um, I think it was Sarah Nelson was cross-examining her in a really uh, smart way And they said, how successful are you in getting people off of drugs? Because isn't that the end goal here? And the safe injection advocate went, well, you know, some people don't define a happy lifestyle as being drug free. In other words, we should allow people to do whatever they want and not infringe on their right to destroy themselves, destroy their community, destroy lives, because they can be self-determining in their truth. I mean, that that summed it up for me when I heard that. You know, I've told Andrew, don't. Go ahead, play it now if you want to play. Heard it, move on. Go ahead. Heard See, it, move on. As my father used to say, we'd having dinner table stories and conversations. If I told a story twice, my dad would Heard yell it, at move us. move on. There it is. Okay. <clears throat> my grandfather was a mayor of a small town and got a chance to testify in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, as they're implementing uh, welfare in that state. We're getting federal welfare, but there's state welfare. He went down to testify. They gave him three minutes, and he said... Shame needs to be part of every single action and interaction between citizens. He Mm. said, here is my recommendation if you want to have a welfare system. You give the person who needs the handout the name of seven neighbors. You have that person go to the door, knock at the door, come in. I would have him sit down at my coffee table and I would ask him, how's it going? Are you looking for a job? Have you found a job? I heard that Walt down the street at the gas station is hiring. You might want to go see him. Go see Walt. And at that point, I would get up from my coffee table. I would go to the kitchen cabinet. I would take down the coffee can that I have my spare change in. I would ask the man to hold out his hand I counted out my money and put it into his hand, and I would look him in the eye, and I'd say, make sure you check and see there's a job down the street. The person would be assigned to come back to my house a week later. 
As my grandfather said, he will not return because he will not look me in the eye. He will not take the money out of the can of the money that I have earned. He will get a job because it is a face-to-face interchange between two human beings. And he feels the shame and he knows that I am watching. Mm. And they're like, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Curley. I'm going to ponder that. It's true, but but listen, if you make it so easy, and then the other one was, oh, we don't want to have people to have, you know, we don't want them to have food stamps because then everybody in the line would be judging them, right? Let's make it really easy so nobody judges anybody. Quietly take the money from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Make it really easy that way. That's why I always say, you know, they don't take FICA out. Make me write the check every month, <laughs> right? Then it'll hit home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And by the way, FICA, you know what the C in FICA stands for? Heard it, move on. Contribution. (laughs) It's a contribution. It's not a tax. It's a coercion. It's a contribution. Roosevelt said, no, 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 don't call it a tax. Call it a contribution because you're contributing to your retirement. Here we go. Thank you, Kate Stone. Greg Talmud is in for Sherry. Sherry back tomorrow. Let's see. We'll take care of the one story real quick. This is the uh, Seattle Times Seattle counter service versus sit down restaurants. Readers have opinions. What's your hot take on this one? Yeah. Have you experienced this in your nape of the way? I find around the Seattle area more and more I go up and I have to order at a counter and then I get my food delivered to me after I sit down as opposed to the traditional way of sitting down, being greeted by a waiter or waitress, getting a menu, being able to talk at your table and then interacting um, with the restaurant establishment uh, personnel. And I have mm. to tell you, John, uh, yeah. the, the Seattle Times readers are, are mixed on this, on which one they prefer. I think this is one of the phenomenons that really accelerated during COVID when things became a lot more impersonal and a lot more isolated. Uh, you know, uh, remember mobile ordering really took off like it never had right. before. And mm-hmm. this counter service was a byproduct of COVID as well, which is, we don't want face-to-face contact with people, so order and go sit down, and we'll hand it to you and get out of your way real quick. And right. I, I don't like it. I, I have to admit, um, and I think about it, I, I probably eat out a little too much, but it's taken some time for me to pinpoint why I don't like the whole order at the counter phenomenon. I think it's two or threefold here. One. Uh, the ritual, two, the luxury, and three, the relational dynamic. So the ritual, I love mm-hmm. in a wow, traditional you really sense. Wor- I really worked on this. You've written all this down. Go you ahead. Know, I put a little <laughs> notes and marginalia here just to make sure I can articulate <laughs> okay. my thoughts eloquently or to the best of my ability. The ritual mm-hmm. isn't. Don't you love going in, sitting down, getting the menu, talking with people at the table with you about oh the specials or have you had this before? It all generates uh, you know relational capital between people, and sure. that ritual is just something I'm very fond of, and you don't get that when you order at the counter to um what was it the luxury yeah it is a privilege oh. to have somebody take your order but I, f- I always felt like the cost was kind of factored in right when, when mm-hmm. we go out to eat we're paying a premium because we have to do less of the work ourselves and it's nice sure. to say our order to someone and then we talk to them and they get the business done for us and we can sit and enjoy ourselves and three the relational dynamic again stressing that before I just think whether it's two degrees or 10 degrees or 20 degrees, uh, we're trending in a direction as a society where we're trying to 
put mechanisms in place where we have to interact with less and less people. Uh -huh. And I think the counter service is a part of that broader trend, which having is not a good really, thing. <clears throat> having done any homework on it, but I just look at it uh, uh, primarily as an economic equation. Okay, it's yeah. transactional because you don't want to pay the waiter. So you've got the person who takes you from the counter and basically a busboy is going to come over or someone else is going to drop it down on you. You don't have to interact with the person. The person behind the counter can take the order, write it all down for you, get it into the uh, back to the uh, chef or the cook, and then stuff comes out and somebody takes it to the table. So I, I'm assuming they're saving money in that regard. Right. So maybe it just works out for them that way. But you're still probably feeling guilty and tipping 10 or 20% because that's what you expect to do. Well, and a lot and, of times you order and place the tip before you even gotten your food. And so oh, I'm going, yeah. what am I uh, tipping 20% for? And I have Learn no idea economics. if it's going to be yeah. timely uh, in the fashion that mm -hmm. I get my food, if the person's going to be affable. The tip for me was always an incentive to be uh, get good treatment from the, the restaurant. <laughs> Yeah, but you don't you don't change the tip depending on the service, do you? Because most people don't. Um, it has will, to be terrible. It has to be terrible my service. For my you low ball is fifteen percent. I will go as high as twenty five percent if they really like knocked it out of the park for me. Okay, what's All your right. rule on that? Uh, twenty to twenty five, or I was at Logan's last summer, and the woman was complaining because a lot of people aren't tipping anymore because of economics, or maybe because after the whole COVID canard. Uh, she goes, I've had one table left me nothing. They were a six top, so I I gave her a hundred dollars, but oh. I. Because I felt bad for her. I was eating by myself. But I don't look at menus. I don't really care about food. I made a news resolution in 2008 to never look at the menu. <laughs> so I never look at the menu. You. And then you forget, at all. you forget what the name of the food you want to order, and then you get nothing. I don't care. Yes. I, no, I just go, what, I, always, uh, the, what would you, I said, what does everybody else order? Well, they get the pulled pork. I have that. That's fine. Whatever it is. So I don't even care what I eat. <laughs> and one time, somebody put it down in front of me. I ate the whole thing. And the person goes, I think you ate mine. I said, what'd you order? What'd you just eat? I said, I don't know. What, was it, <laughs> was it tunis? Was it, no, I, I ordered the turkey sandwich. I said, oh, okay. Well, I ate it. Well, you didn't even know you weren't eating tuna? I said, I don't care. I don't care about food. Have so, you ever sat um, down with an obnoxious person at your table that knows who you are, and it's like a burger joint, and they look at the menu, and they say, so, John, you going to opt for the curly fries? And then you oh, want to sock him right in the face. Oh. Spelled the same way, by the way. Not getting any money off right. of that. And then the, um, yeah, so I'm not, a, the, one time it was really interesting. This one guy was eating, in, I was in Aspen, Colorado for work. And I said to the waiter, he comes over, he had a chance to look at the menu. I said, I don't look at menus. I don't care. What do most people order? He goes, well, if you don't care what you eat, then why do you care what most people order? I said, huh. well, I just, I just crowdsource it. I just assume everybody knows what's good. So just bring me that. He goes, but again, if you don't care what you eat, why do you care what everybody else eats? I said, ooh, got me. Yeah. He said, why don't I do this? I'll just bring you what I think is good. I said, no, no, then you're going to get the rack of lamb or some $85 thing. No, 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 I won't do that to you. I'm just going to bring you what I think is good and, and not going to screw you on the price. I said, fine. So he brings it over, puts it down, eats it. I ate it, and then he comes back over like a half hour later. What'd you think? I said, it's good. What'd you think? I mean, but what'd you think of it? I said, it was fine. And, then <laughs> and that said, was you your glowing endorsement. It's fine. He go and then Nick, who's sitting with me, goes, do you even know what you ate? I said, yeah, I know. It was like uh, chunks of meat or something in it. <laughs> That's the colloquial I, term, yes. As, as against it as you are, you are the perfect candidate for insect-based protein. 
Oh, I eat those things. They're at the uh, Pioneer Coffee Shop here in Cleelum. They have those uh, cookies that have crickets in them. I eat that. Oh, awesome. I, I would eat rocks if my teeth... <laughs> <laughs> from Dental Specialties Northwest could withstand the the pressure uh, uh, so, and the force. That's how you stay so fit, though. I mean, you and I are like water and oil in this regard. I like food way too much, and I think about it way too much. Hence this uh, body in this face made for radio. <laughs> yeah, well, I told the story on the radio that I, I you, when I was in a hurry before I uh, – well, this is a couple of years ago – I would make pasta, I drain it out of the thing, and then I would form it into a ball. And if I was really, this is when I had indoor plumbing when I was living over in Sammamish, I'd form it into a ball and eat it while in the shower. <laughs> well played. That sounds like me in college circa 2002, sophomore yeah. year. When you, that's Just when a, you. A ball, a ball of pot. You can for if you don't put too much cold water in. It's nice and starchy and sticky. So, you can form it into okay. a ball. You can put some cheese on if you want. If your hands get dirty because of the cheese, you're in the shower. You just eat it. Just eat it, eat it, and then whatever you don't want, you throw in the toilet, flush the toilet, get out, dry yourself off, and head out the door. But again, Bang, done. You're someone who eats to live. You don't live to eat. Uh, it's right. I hate food. If I could take a pill. This question for you. If you could take a pill and you pay like $5,000 for it, and by swallowing that pill, you never are hungry again. Never, Heck ever. Heck to the you... no. Then I don't get to enjoy Hostess cupcakes again for the rest of my life. And that's like the man re- Well, let me tell you something. The rest heaven. of your life could be 10 more years if you keep eating like that. <laughs> oh, thanks, doctor. <laughs> Dr. Right. Curly. They need psychoanalysis. Now you just turn your head and cough. Greg Tomlin in for Sherry. Well, AI is changing everything. And uh, this is a little side story here. So um, Tyler Perry was going to build a giant $800 million complex in Atlanta. Atlanta has become really sort of the Hollywood of the East. They've got lots of territory in throughout Georgia that can look like a whole bunch of different sets. Um, they um, are really good about working very quickly. They don't have the same restrictions they have in Hollywood. So a lot of movies have been done down there. He's going to build a great big studio in Atlanta. They also give all sorts of tax breaks uh, for filmmaking. And now, after we saw what AI was able to do, he said, you know, I think I'm going to wait on this and not make the investment because i think so much of it can now be done through ai yeah that's quite an astounding number that he's not going to invest uh, in an indefinite sense 800 million because of this quote mind-blowing development and ai technologies that he has been made privy to but it's just around the corner in terms of the public being able to see what this technology can truly accomplish. So this thing is called Sora, and Sora is capable of generating these minute-long videos while maintaining the visual quality and adherence to the user prompts. Thus, uh, Perry noted how his productions may no longer have to travel to locations or build sets or anything of that nature. And this is quite astounding. I mean, with any technological advancement, they're capable of equal parts uh, good and bad. Uh, With this AI revolution, it's no doubt going to put lots of people in the movie-making, TV-making, entertainment industry out of a job. And Mm -hmm. look, this is nothing new. I mean, we derive the term Luddite from... That's right. Smashing the stockings and the machinery... 
uh, was it eighteen eighty? Was it eighteen twenty? Eighteen twenty six? Somewhere You're in there, in the, the Luddites right went into the century. factory. You're close. Around eighteen eleven to eighteen sixteen, there were these English textile workers who were raising their fists and shaking them at uh, these cost-saving machines that were putting mm-hmm. them out of jobs. And this is tale as old as time, or time immemorial. Um, technological advancements put some people out of work, and it has never yep. been more important for people in every industry to learn how to adapt or die. I've got lots yep. of family in the medical industry where AI is just making astounding advancements. And you, when I was growing up, <clears throat> my parents would always say, Oh, you're so good with your hands, you would be such a good surgeon. Well, in the not-so-distant future, it's going to be, well, who can put a formula into a machine that will make the incision on a patient? Those are going to be right. the really valuable people in the medical world. And right. so Plus, this so, is just so they really going to upend every industry. AI will also help with diagnosing because the 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 medical practitioner has said, well, you've got this symptom and this and this and this. This is cross-referencing that. If I give you this particular drug, they said, AI, once you put enough of it in there, they'll go, oh, because all the data will search all reactions to all drugs and then say, it's most likely this is what the person's suffering from. This would be a, you know, a, a good, uh, a remedy for it. The other one is the AI. I saw that sent this to Joe yesterday. This is a deep fake of Hunter Biden after his uh, testimony behind closed doors. Comes out, it's Hunter Biden standing there, and it sounds just like him. Looks pretty good on a scale of 1 to 10 or A, B, C, or D. Where do you give this one, Joe? I'd give it like a six, but it's actually pretty decent. But still, in terms of what's capable today that wasn't Three months ago, it's a six. Three months ago, Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was financially involved in my business. The kickbacks we got paid for my new teeth. These hair plugs, that obviously didn't work. Countless hookers and all the Parmesan cheese a guy could ask for. Wow. And my dad, the big guy, said it best. I'm the smartest guy he knows. The thing is, the, the voice is pretty good. But the other thing that's amazing is the visuals that are going with it. And we've talked about this before. How the mouth moves and, yeah. Oh, yeah, and his face and everything else. Once this if it, this thing gets absolutely perfected and it's heading there rapidly, this is going to be a big problem for well, people. Well, there will be, no doubt. Uh, and this could be what pushes us over the edge into that dystopian nightmare. And I've been saying for the past few years, John, the Wait, thing- wait, aren't we already in the dystopian nightmare? It's a slow roll, and let's just say it's accelerating um, uh-huh. at a quicker pace. But look, we need to promote more and more face-to-face human interaction. That's what saves us here, okay? Spending less of our lives looking at screens because, like you said, pretty soon we're not going to be able to distinguish whether that's legit or a complete fakery. And Mm -hmm. so the more time you spend in rooms with people or talking to people or working face-to-face with people and building trust and uh, relational capital with those people, that's the road to recovery here. But as long as we maintain our silos, our isolation, and our bubbles and stuff, uh, that's when things get much, much, much worse. And we're trending in that direction, and we need to course correct. Correct. There, there is a um, architect who's building a community of homes, and they've decided to make the front yard much shorter, uh, almost kicking it down to about twenty percent of where it was or 60% reduction, and then building a thing called a front porch. So there's a sidewalk. What's that? (laughs) 
I know. A sidewalk, a little bit of front yard, and then the front porch. And so the reason they want to do this is so when someone's walking by on the sidewalk, hey, Gary. Yeah. Hey, and then the pro, oh, what are you guys doing? Well, what are you doing tomorrow? Well, come on. Hey, want some lemonade? Come on in. That sense of community yeah, I love that. is created by the one-on-one. Yeah. When we yeah. moved into our house 10 years ago, the first thing my wife wanted to do was remove some plants at the front of our house and put two chairs out there. And it's exactly for the reason that you just stated. And we uh, know tons of neighbors now. We know the neighbor's kids. We know people walking their dogs by just that yep. little choice of putting some chairs out there so we can interact with fellow human beings has benefited us so greatly. And it didn't well, take that much effort. Well, we're we're benefiting. I mean, we're communicating somewhat. How's the how's the camera on me today? Joe? I I, I think you look AI generated personally. It's fantastic until about five fifteen. That's when it takes a turn. Sure, sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> when he turns into the Oompa Loompa. That, that's yeah. how 